You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 301 of Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. The world has lost its fucking mind. Now more than ever do we need to accept the fact that democracy is not the answer. Now this is one of the most sinful things you can say. That's almost as bad as saying you haven't taken the jab. Maybe even worse. For some dumb reason people have confused democracy with freedom. That's like saying cancer is the same thing as healthcare. But before your brain explodes from anger at what I've just said or before you agree fully or before you become intrigued to learn more, then uh, just consider this. If you like this podcast, but want to feast your eyes as well as your ears, perhaps you should head over to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Simply search Natural Born Alchemist channel on YouTube and it shall appear. Or click the link in the program notes of this episode. I put a lot of effort into the videos I make and... Hopefully, you'll enjoy them. If you want to support me, please subscribe on YouTube and even better, leave a like or a nice comment. YouTube is severely lacking in nice comments, so with your help, let's change that. Anyway, I hope I will see you there. I've actually got a little campaign going. Uh, I've written a pledge over at change.org slash cancel dash msm the aim of this pledge is to render the corporate media machine irrelevant as well as improve the lives of people all over the world by signing you pledge to completely stop consuming corporate media regardless of what political identity you or the shows you used to watch have can you go that far There is a link in the program notes to the pledge. I hope you can join me in making corporate media irrelevant. I also got a video about all this on my YouTube channel. Anyway, let's get back on track. What was I saying? Uh, Yeah, democracy is shit. Is it? Let's look further. Machiavelli was an Italian diplomat, author, philosopher and historian, and he lived during the Renaissance. Machiavelli is best known for his political treatise The Prince, and has often been called the father of modern political philosophy and political science. He had this to say on the concept of democracy. A man attains an elevated position only when his mediocrity prevents him from being a threat to others. And for this reason, a democracy is never governed by the most competent, but rather by those whose insignificance will not jeopardize anyone else's self-esteem. This reminds me of this little sample by mystic and cult leader Osho. Democracy 
is not the highest goal. It is better than dictatorial regimes. It is better than monarchies. But it is not the end of the journey. Because democracy basically means government by the people, of the people, for the people. But the people are retarded. So let us say, government by the retarded, <laughs> for the retarded, of the retarded. Already two and a half thousand years ago, Greek philosopher Plato was opposed to democratic governance. Plato believed that expertise is the critical attribute of a leader. And Plato was critical of the fact that a democracy seldom produces such characters. Rather, it elects popular spinsters who are effective in manipulating popular opinion. Ring a bell? I don't think I have to convince anyone of that, that that's what's going on still to this day. But let's look at the modern equivalent to the Roman Empire, which is the United States of America. What choices did the voters have in the last election? They could vote for a narcissistic retard or a retard with dementia. So it's a hard choice to make. They chose the dementia one. According to freelance artist and writer Ian Williams Goodart, a society whose citizens refuse to see and investigate the facts who refuse to believe that their government and their media will routinely lie to them and fabricate a reality contrary to verifiable facts is a society that chooses and deserves the police state dictatorship it is going to get. In a similar tone, English Catholic historian, politician and writer Lord Acton famously said The danger is not that a particular class is unfit to govern. Every class is unfit to govern. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The issues with democracy have not changed much. If we look at the beginnings of the Roman Empire, 2000 years ago that was, uh, we find that not much have changed. Listen to this clip from author and podcaster Mike Duncan, lifted from his excellent The History of Rome podcast. As I noted last week, the two richest classes in Rome held between them enough votes to snuff out any possible opposition, and those classes were, for the most part, made up of patricians, so the patricians made the rules. In the beginning, then, the democratic republic was really an oligarchy of wealthy, aristocratic families who shaped policy to serve their interests and who had no intention of ever letting anyone else into the decision-making process. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but let me just say that it did not take long for the plebes, especially those plebes who were wealthy, to demand a greater voice in government. This tension between the patricians and the plebes would dominate Roman politics for the duration of the empire. Outside the basic patrician-plebe dichotomy, there were those without even nominal political standing, namely women, slaves, and immigrants. 
These groups formed a majority in sheer numerical terms, but were denied almost all political rights. Even the plebeian males, who howled righteously at the injustice of being denied a say in government, would have cried just as loud if someone had suggested suffrage being extended to women or slaves or immigrants. The idea would have been beyond comprehension. And the contradictions of the early republic bear a striking resemblance to the contradictions of the early United States. When you picture the burgeoning Roman Republic, picture what you know of the burgeoning American Republic. The United States, though rhetorically cloaked in the language of freedom and equality, allowed only white, landowning males to vote. Eventually, the propertyless men agitated against the injustice of an oligarchical elite trampling on their freedoms and earned the same right, but women and blacks and Indians and the new immigrants were left out in the cold, present but unheard. This was Rome a republic in which the disenfranchised majority were ruled by a disproportionately powerful elite. This, then, was the basic political breakdown of the population. Economically speaking, whether patrician or plebe, the majority of Romans were, by this time, settled farmers. But this was no utopia of land-owning citizen farmers. The land was owned by an elite minority and worked by the rest of the population. Economics and politics coincided just as they do today, and the tension between owner and operator mirrored the tension between patrician and plebe. Plebes were constantly agitating for land redistribution, and patricians blocked reform whenever they could. In this early stage of the empire, the actual work of the farms was still done by the lower-class citizens, slaves being an important part of the Roman economic model, but not yet the keystone upon which the entire system was based. The farms produced two basic products, food for internal consumption, usually grain and cereals, and crops for external trade, usually olives and grapes, and the refined offspring, oil and wine. The Romans, building on the roots already established by the Etruscans, used savvy trade policies to enrich themselves with all manner of foreign goods, establishing a truly international flavor in the city. But as in so many other aspects of Roman society, it was the wealthy patricians who controlled the import-export boards, and it was they who benefited the most from foreign trade. Needless to say, the landless plebe who worked in the fields did not dress in African finery and eat off of Greek silverware. Divisions were many within the population, economically and politically, and hatred abounded between the classes. But, in the end, they were all Romans, and set aside their differences any time the city was threatened, though picking up their rivalries right where they left off when danger had passed. Sure, democracy served its purpose. Um, I mean, there's a lot of positive things that emerged from this system there's no doubt about that so there are good things with democracy and some countries there are you know maybe like uh, let's see North Korea maybe they need some democracy so I mean democracy is not bad in and of itself however the wagon was equally important and what I mean by that is a wagon is a heavy four-wheeled vehicle pulled by draught animals or on occasion by humans. And it was used for transporting goods, commodities, agricultural materials, supplies and even people. It cannot be stated enough the importance the wagon has for the development of society and modernity. Or the wheel for that matter. I mean without the wheel I mean, we wouldn't have evolved much at all. But does that mean we should not have invented the car? Should we not have invented the electric car? Should we not have invented the airplane? I mean, we have a wheel after all. 
So, democracy is an old idea that needs to be shelved. We need to proceed to the next evolutionary step when it comes to how we structure society. In a way, this is what the idea was when the United States was formed. Unfortunately, the efforts of the founding fathers failed epically. Michael Malis is an author and podcaster and media personality and host of Your Welcome podcast. He is an anarcho-capitalist and apparently a snowflake since he blocked me on Twitter. Regardless, the following audio was taken from his appearance on the Glenn Beck podcast, episode one to one. The utopian view is that the Constitution is going to restrain government, despite 200 years of, co- of evidence to the contrary. That's the utopian view. It's completely delusional and contradicts history. The anarchist view is, you do not speak for me. So anarchism has historically been a um, doctrine of revolutionary terror. An anarchist met, made Teddy Roosevelt president. Uh, in Russia, certainly anarchists right. were bomb throwers. In Britain, the word anarchist is synonymous with terrorist. There's that Sex Pistols song, yep, yep, Anarchy yep. in the UK. They're referring mm-hmm. to I want to destroy passersby is the lyric. But anarchism is also a ideology of peace. It is an ideology that says authority is not legitimate, uh, that the idea that someone who wins a popularity contest is going to have any kind of say Correct. over my life is a joke. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we even consider this ludicrous philosophy of authority as legitimate is because we've been taught to the contrary in government schools since we were children. So anarchism just means uh, not having a belief in the state and believing as well that a voluntary society, a peaceful society is the optimal one. But it's not utopian in the same way if I sat here and said to you, I'm going to cure cancer. We would both think that's a great goal. Doesn't mean there's not going to be murders. There's not going to be other diseases. There's not going to be problems. There's not going to be hurricanes. It is basically the idea that authority is inherently illegitimate. And I do not understand how anyone, or I do understand, but I think it's unfortunate that people can look at the status quo and say, this system is the best we can do. We're taught that the Constitution was this great idea that is a result of checks and balances. It was almost impossible for the federal government to do anything unless everyone sat down and agreed with, with each other, right? This is the story we're told. At the same time, we're told, well, we had something called the Article of Confederation, but it didn't work because people couldn't get together and do anything. The Article of Confederation worked this, exactly how the Constitution is claimed to have worked. Right. And then the Constitution came in and strongly centralized power over what had gone before. And as the anti-federalists warned at the time, it was despite the talk of states' rights, they have created a leviathan and we're seeing it to this day. If I'm elected president, you're going to see the single most important thing that changes in America is we're going to cure cancer. Get the fuck out of here. I think the best option is anarchy. Con Ross is a radical writer and thinker. And he is the subject of a documentary called Accidental Anarchist about his conversion from believer in government to anarchist. This talk was given at a TEDx event. But what is anarchism? I hear you cry, or maybe not. Uh, 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 Well, first of all, anarchism doesn't tell us that things will be all, all right in the end. Both communism and capitalism have in common this idea that it's all going to be okay if we keep doing it. We go through the pain now, eventually it's going to be good for everybody. Anarchism doesn't pretend that. It doesn't offer a blueprint for a utopian society, which, by the way, is inherently fascistic. Anarchism is a process. 
it is action, it is collaboration with people without power, uh, without people having power over one another, collaboration as equals, everybody included uh, in decision making. It is work, um, unlike voting. Though I would, I'm sure you agree that our current political system with politicians trading simplistic, vulgar slogans about what to do about the world and electoral politics and partisanship that seems to be more successfully dividing us than uniting us, the political system that we have today is more part of the problem than the, than the solution. Anarchists propose instead direct democracy. This means everybody involved in the decisions that affect them. This was democracy as practiced in ancient Greece, where citizens took it in turns to take the decisions for the city. But more recently, direct democracy has been practiced by tens of thousands of people in a large city in Brazil called Porto Alegre, where thousands of people took part in debates to decide the priorities for the city budget. After 10 years of this, the World Bank, of all people, did a study of the results, and the results were extraordinary. Though perhaps predictable, if you think about it, if you include rich and poor alike in decision-making, the outcomes of those decisions are going to be more equitable. And sure enough, when the World Bank looked at Porto Alegre, they found that things like sanitation, healthcare, and education were much more fairly distributed than they had been before this experiment in participatory democracy began. They also found, interestingly, that both politics, the ugly form, partisanship and corruption all dramatically declined, which again makes sense, because if politicians are not allowed secretly to carve up a budget and pay off their cronies, why do you need political parties at all? You just decide. Anyway, uh, it works. This is a system um, that has been proven. It's not a wild idea. Anarchism isn't chaos. People think, oh, it just means you know, everything, a free-for-all. It's not that at all. At all. But you can't have a fair politics when power and wealth is concentrated in the hands of a few. The wealthy, those already with wealth and power, will always get access to the decision makers. They will always be able to reach those policy makers more easily than the rest of us. You have to create a fair economy. Anarchists do not propose state ownership as the answer. They propose instead that everybody who contributes to an enterprise should be a beneficiary of that enterprise. They should be an owner of that enterprise. They should have a say in the future of that enterprise. This is, of course, the cooperative model. And again, it works. Spain's 10th largest company is a conglomerate, a cooperative called Mondragon. In Britain, its longest lasting retail store uh, was founded when the family owner uh, of a collection of stores realized that his family was worth more and was earning more than all of the company's employees put together. Disgusted, he turned the company, John Lewis, into a cooperative. This happened when he was lying in bed, injured after a horse riding accident, his own kind of rupture. I've seen these models work in small villages, in neighborhoods of New York City, in cities, big cities, also in a uh, remarkable region of eastern Syria called Rojava, where 
After the collapse of the Assad regime, they have implemented self-government from the bottom up, including all ethnicities, races, where women are always given leadership roles, chair every meeting, uh, where decisions are made at the lowest level possible, where even in decisions of justice and wrongdoing, they do not look to authority to make the decisions to punish. They look to the group, society, to decide what is best, what is the best way to deal with their problems together. Um, this produces something extraordinary. Uh, this produces society that is fairer, uh, that is better, uh, where there is more cooperation, less division, uh, more harmony, more love. But this won't happen on its own. No politician will legislate for this kind of society to arise. It will have to be built and tended to constantly. It's not something that we can just expect to happen through the dialectic of history. And indeed, the dialectic of history tells us that things change. Nothing can be taken for granted. It's pretty clear that the current dispensation that left us very comfortable in the late 20th century of representative democracy and a kind of capitalism, that dispensation is coming to an end. And the question is, what will replace it? And it's pretty clear what will replace it right now, and it's not pretty. And unless we act, that will continue to be our future. There's something deeper here, too. The conception of the human in current contemporary orthodox economics and politics is of somebody who can't be trusted. You need governments to set down rules, to coerce them, to punish them if they do wrong. It posits the human as individual, consumer, materialist, somebody who protects their own rather than uh, protects their own against the threats from outside. I profoundly believe that this is a grotesquerie. It's a travesty of what we are. If you ask the dying soldiers, what they will tell you is that they live for other people. They will sacrifice their lives for other people. In a sense, they only exist in other people. So for me, anarchism has become much more than a merely political or economic philosophy. It's become uh, a guide to how to live. No one can tell me what to do. And I can tell you what to do. As long as we respect each other and we don't hurt each other or the planet we all have to share, we should logically be allowed to do what the fuck we want. If the governments of the world said we are not allowed to get a vaccine, I would oppose that. As it is now, it is saying the opposite. We have to get it. And I oppose that. This is not a pro or anti-vax issue. This is a don't tell me what the fuck to do issue. Ah, what are you doing? Here to do a little swimming. You gotta wear a life jacket or else you can't come in. No, I'm good. Thank you though. Life jackets are mandatory. Mandatory to wear a life jacket when you swim? And when you're not swimming too. Why? Cases of people getting wet are going through the roof. It's a scary time. 
Put it on. But that doesn't mean they're drowning. People get wet every day. It's part of life. 0.00001182% of all people drown each year. That's practically everybody. So put on a life jacket. That doesn't make any logical sense. I'm not putting one on. I know how to swim. I've had swimming lessons. Oh, swimming lessons? You think those exist? So what, you just think your body has this natural ability to traverse through water in a way that keeps your head up so you can still breathe? Yeah, it's called swimming. Never heard of it. Flotation devices are backed by science. You don't believe in science? I do, it's just... I know how to swim. You're kind of being racist right now. What? Look how his life jacket is keeping him from drowning. He's just standing in shallow water. Put a life jacket on now. You're putting everyone at risk of drowning. How am I putting everyone at risk? Their life jackets won't work unless you have one on. Does his life jacket work? Yes, very well. Then why would he need me to wear a life jacket when his life jacket already works? We have to protect the protected swimmers from the unprotected swimmers. But aren't they already protected? Yes very well protected so they should be fine they would be except they're not very well protected because of you look you gotta put one on or you can't go in this feels creepy so where would i get one? Oh, i'm selling them right here you're selling life jackets yes of course so you're demanding that everyone wear a life jacket while you are selling life jackets yes for their protection and they have to buy the life jacket from you indeed don't you think that's a conflict of interest no conflict of interest that i can think of how much money have you made this year from life jackets mm, 27 billion dollars seems like you're more interested in making money than keeping people safe from a you're an anti-science anti-life jacket climate change denier with cases of people getting wet going through the roof i'm gonna need you to buy a life jacket from me and put it on or else you'll never have access to swimming pools showers rain or drinking water ever again you're treating me like i'm the enemy if you're concerned with people drowning shouldn't you be treating water like it's the danger instead of treating me like i'm the danger your body's made up of 70 percent water so you're basically a ticking time bomb Put one on. Buddy, you are the last person I'd want to take direction from. You're so pushy, it's creeping me out. You're like the Harvey Weinstein of lifeguards. Thank you. But look, just today a man up the road died from drowning in a head-on collision car accident because he wasn't wearing his life jacket. Wouldn't he have died from the car accident? A bottle of water was found in the car. Counts as a water death. That doesn't make any sense. God works in mysterious ways, and there is no God, so you'll need to obey me. Oh my god, he's drowning! Help him! Sir, please get out of the pool and put this life jacket on. He can't get out, he's drowning! Grab the edge of the pool, it's right behind you! Just reach for it! No, 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 that's not an approved method of protection against drowning. It's quite dangerous, actually. Just grab the edge! Do not do that, it's unapproved. For God's sake, just grab the edge! Could we censor him, please? For your protection, do not grab the edge. Help him, your lifeguard! Okay, I will. You should have put a life jacket on while you still had the chance. You're kind of getting what you deserve. Look what you did to him, you monster. This never would have happened if you had a life jacket on. Now put a life jacket on. Okay. Now that you're fully protected, enjoy your swim. Ah, I'll need to see proof that you're wearing a life jacket. Show me your papers. That was JP Sears. Check out his YouTube, Awaken with JP. One thing you gotta pay attention to is how journalists behave. A real journalist asks tough questions. 
critical questions. A, a real journalist is a digger. I've studied journalism. I've met real journalists. These journalists we have today, they're not like that. They are tools and shills for the state agenda or for the corporate agenda. It's clear as day. Because we haven't seen any tough questions by any mainstream journalist. This is to me a clear sign we are dealing with a combination of the fear to out oneself, the greed to keep one's job, and the hysteria to believe one's own lies and the lies of others. And please don't think this is a left versus right issue. It is not. Well, I guess in, in the US, uh, Fox News are asking critical questions uh, when it comes to the lockdown regime and all that stuff. But it's because they're... It's a, they made it into a right-wing issue. So uh, where I live, uh, there's none of that. There's no critical questions at all. And it's not. that's why also it's not a right-left-wing issue because where I live, the right-wing are demanding more mandates than the left-wing, so it's opposite. So it's, it's not left and right. This is about sheep or wolf, basically. I want to quote V for Vendetta because that film and the graphic novel is extremely apt for the times we are currently living in. The truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, You now have censors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and soliciting your submission. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. I'm not afraid. And I will not fucking submit. And neither should you. Because if you do this... It's only the beginning of the fascism that is growing all around us. I warned about this over a year ago. Everything I said has come true so far. So don't give these fuckers an inch. Don't give them an inch. To quote V for Vendetta yet again. Our integrity sells for so little. But it's all we really have. It is the very last inch of us. But within that inch, we are free. Every inch of me shall perish. Every inch but one. An inch. It is small and it is fragile. And it is the only thing in the world worth having. We must never lose it or give it away. We must never let them take it from us. 
I hope that whoever you are, you escape this place. I hope that the world turns and that things get better. But what I hope most of all is that you understand what I mean when I tell you that even though I do not know you, and even though I may never meet you, laugh with you, cry with you, or kiss you, I love you. With all my heart, I love you. When are we going to stop putting up with the idiots in this country and just say, you now, it's mandatory to get vaccinated. F*** them, f*** their freedom. I want my freedom to live. I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it. Your proposition may be good, but let's have one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it all, condensed it, I'm against it. I'm opposed to it. On general principles, I'm opposed to it. He's opposed to it. In fact, indeed, he's opposed to it. For months before my son was born, I used to yell from night till morn, whatever it is, I'm against it. And I've kept yelling since I first commenced it. I'm against it. That was Groucho Marx singing Whatever It Is, I'm Against It from the film Horse Feathers from 1932. Now I hope I planted some seeds at least. This is a huge topic and I just wanted to dip my feet in once again as I've done in the past uh, because I do think anarchy is the only sane path forward and I have done a few anarchy episodes so you can look in my history and you can find those. Hopefully my contrarianism won't get me banned. Here's comedian Jimmy Dore on Joe Rogan a couple of months ago about this very thing. Bill Clinton did the Telecommunications Act in 1996, which took us from 50 giant media companies and took us down to six, right? And the answer was, oh, we can do that because the Internet exists now. So the Internet, that's going to open up everything. We're going to have lots of different voices, except we don't because now we have censorship. And where is the censorship coming from? The authoritarian left. They would rather shut people up. It's so weird, Joe, because I'm a natural, you know, anti-establishment guy. I'm a freaking comedian, right? I'm an outsider. Whatever the thing is, I want to go against it. I'm a contrarian so whatever the fucking thing is and now you can't do that on social media and people on the left cheer it on they cheer on well, we got to get rid of that bad information like they cheered on with alex jones and how stupid it's like you guys don't know they start with the guy who's easiest to censor first and then it's going to come down to you right. and exactly what happens free speech is an absolute if alex jones was doing something illegal there's a government body there's a law enforcement agency that's supposed to take care of that and if he's not doing something illegal then he deserves a printing press because that's what facebook twitter and youtube is it's a printing press and it's like you can't take away someone's printing press because you don't agree with what they're saying they have to break a law and you have to go to court and that's how it should be and all these goddamn social media platforms should be uh, uh, considered utilities you yeah, know that and I, I know that I agree 100% you, you, in that. like for instance 20 years ago or 30 years ago you couldn't start a business Joe without a telephone how could you compete if, if AT&T took away your telephone because they didn't like the shit you were saying on your telephone you couldn't run a business right that was unfair but today Today, you can't run a business without a Facebook page or a Twitter account or a YouTube. And they can censor you over that. They can take that away from your business. And that's not right. 
And I'm not making any money from this podcast except the generous donations I receive from my most dedicated listeners over at Patreon. This means I have two options. Either continue the rat race grind and uh, do this podcast on the side or accept advertising money. The latter is not something I feel comfortable with. There are a ton of podcasts out there and some of them are promoting my podcast for free. And in return, I shall do the same for them. It's called bartering. So I hope you check out this podcast. Welcome to Perceptions Today podcast. We will be discussing a wide variety of changing perceptions and ongoing research about topics such as consciousness, health, medicine, science, physics, history, metaphysics, the paranormal and reality. Join us as we learn and discover fascinating new information about these and other topics from people in the field, doing the research and having the experiences. During our discussions, we hope to engage you in the process to ignite your own creativity and alter your perceptions in new and exciting ways. The adventure begins now. Find us on podcast apps, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Once again, that's Perceptions Today. If you want to support me, become a patron. Even a buck a month from a lot of people does make a big difference. If you can't manage to do that, then please leave a nice review on iTunes or sub to my YouTube channel. Uh, Also share the podcast wherever you can. I'm aware I don't create much content on Patreon, but that is because I only have two hands. I have a family to support and I gotta do my day job, you know. So uh, perhaps in the future, if I have enough patrons, I can quit the day job and do this full time. I would like to make an episode every day, but that's impossible as it is now. But it would be nice. Uh, I guess there are ads on YouTube. I could get income from those once my YouTube channel is big enough. So why then do I have an issue with having ads on this podcast? Well, there is a difference. A random ad on YouTube is obviously not something I can be claimed to support because I don't even know what ad they will play before you watch a video of mine. But if I sit here and say, I think you should buy this product because it's great and it works for me. Well, that doesn't feel genuine, I don't think. Um, And I don't want to be that kind of... I I don't want to sell you crap. Anyway, all the links to Patreon and YouTube and social media can be found in the program notes and on naturalbornalchemist.com. Let's close with a cover of Bob Dylan's The Times They Are Not A-Changing by Ryan Harvey. Pay close attention because the lyrics have been updated. And remember, those that stand by the fascists of today... They will hang by the neck tomorrow. Freedom is in the mind. Come gather round people and fall to your knees. And bow to the red, white and blue M16s. If you like the riot cops, you'll love the Marines. So be it all of your demonstrations. To beat up your bodies and tear down your dreams for the time. They are not a change. Come, children and students, abide by our rules. We'll send in the troops to recruit at your school. 
schools and we'll tell you it's noble, we'll tell you it's cool. And you'll hear every word that we're saying. And there's room in the jails if the classrooms are full for the times they are not a changing. Come mothers and fathers and friends of the slain. While we exploit your losses to fund our campaigns We brought you the war, now there's no one to blame You'd best hope the new leader ain't crazy You can vote how you want, but the outcome's the same For the times, they are not a change Come senators, congressmen don't fear a thing They'll fall in the line Behind the new king And accept with a smile What little you bring They'll forget all the wars you're ranging The bullets will pierce And the tasers will sting For the times they are not a changing Come presidents Dictators, take what you will These people are yours to tax and to kill If they ever rise up, there's walls you can build The system is strong, you're maintaining Just speak with a smile and lie with a skill For the times they are not a They are plain, the choices are clear If things are to change, friends, it's gotta start here And if now ain't the time, I hope the time's near Well, there's still something left that's worth saving So stand up, fight back to hell with your feet 